0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Raised in Pimp City. I'm your host, Armand King, reporting live from here in sunny, sunny, beautiful San Diego. It's been an amazing weekend. Happy Fourth to everybody out there. Um, and yes, we are uh, continuing this season on solutions. And I want to, you know, dialogue a lot more with just We want to talk to people from different backgrounds, different nationalities, different um, education levels, lived experience experts, researchers. We want to talk to everybody. And we will make this next year dedication to solutions. Um, And and pretty much, I guess, in a way, this is like a we uh, will be doing research. If we collect enough data from enough experts from different fields, we're going to end up with a lot of different and similar um, solutions that we can tap into. And, And maybe we could. We can find an answer to this um, epidemic or at least um start us down the right path okay um i have a guest on the line today um miss dixie harrison hello welcome are you there
1: i'm here thanks for having me
0: Uh, most definitely a pleasure having you with us and as you know we kind of spoke um previous to this record button being hit about um what this podcast was about and the focus and before we get into all that, you have about close to 6,000 people that'll be tuning into this. Um, and we they'd like to know who you are. You know, you're welcome to the house. You're in the house now. So let, let our people know who, who who you are and what do you do. Um, I think you can do that a lot better than I can. I have a couple of notes here on who you are, but I'll, the floor is yours, Miss Dixie.
1: Thank you so much and thanks again for having me. I'm happy to be in the house and thanks for welcoming me. Um, I am currently based in Austin, Texas. I'm a social worker by trade and I'm currently working at the University of Texas at Austin in the School of Social Work as a researcher. And we just wrapped a four year long study in February of this year that really was looking at human trafficking across the state of Texas. So we spent the first two years figuring out, okay, what does it look like? What is the scope of the issue? We were looking across the board at uh, adult labor trafficking. We looked at child sex trafficking, and we we tried to uh, find a general overview of how many individuals were being trafficked at any given time in the state of Texas. Um, And we found through that study that there were 79,000 minors and youth, so uh, up to the age of 25, um, being trafficked or commercially sexually exploited in Texas at any given time so that was the first two years and service providers here have really used that data and information to fund programs and allocate resources and things like that but we found that there were some holes in the the first part of the study so we spent the second phase the second two years of the study to really dive deeper into three regions of the state of Texas that are varied in um Their population sizes in uh, different elements of those areas so we could get a cross section look um, of the state of Texas, looking specifically at child sexual exploitation. So, with that, we went directly to youth that um, were in at risk. populations, uh, so vulnerable to sex trafficking, and the risk factors that we looked at were having a history of abuse and neglect, a history of homelessness, a history of running away from home, um, and a history of involvement with the child welfare system. So basically, about me, I came in for that second two years to help manage uh, that research, looking at um, and hearing directly from at risk minors and youth as far as what exploitation looks like in their lives um, and we released that data in February of this year so we are and we, the, the innovative part of this study is that we really came out with um, and tried to produce solutions for the field for funders for policy makers um, and those types of things that we um, have continued to talk about across the state.
0: That's cool. it, man. it sounds like I, I, I hit the right person. So like four years of intense research that covered all of those different areas. Yay. Yeah,
1: yeah, and this is like, I love talking about, I'm really happy about our conversation that we had before hit record, because we were talking about how you want this season to be solution focused. So I'm all for that.
0: Right. And just to rewind a little bit, um, when I was telling you, and once again, to, to the audience that, you know, it's all of these brilliant minds, just think about your immediate network and the people that you work with and how brilliant those people are or passionate those people are. Um, now, you can times that times 10,000, we'll say about people that are in this country alone, that we have all of these brilliant minds. And the, I, I love awareness. We need that, it, it serves its purpose, but, I wish we spent as a group just as much time and energy on um, on solutions. And I think if we put these powerful, beautiful minds together and we worked on solutions, we would come up with something's gonna hit. Something's gonna be like, aha, why didn't we think of that? And then we'll work. And that is so necessary to have the research end of this because we, we need that. We need to have full understanding of what the issues we're dealing with you know, if you if you didn't know that a tree really had roots under the ground, you would you would just pack away at the branches and not know that there were roots that were just going to repopulate, and re- rebuild that tree. So, glad to have you. Uh, so you. and so out of those four years, I, I, I'm going to start with the top. What is out of those four years of research? What is the um, what thing? Stuck out with you the most? Like, what? What was there? Something impactful? Something that you learned that you didn't know before? Um, anything? Let me know. What is that top thing that's like? You're like, dang, I, I I learned this.
1: Yeah, I think what was really interesting to me. So prior to, to being a researcher, I was doing policy work in Texas um, on. Child sex trafficking. So I've been in this space for several years now. Okay. Um, and what I learned from this research is that there is, and any service provider will already know this, but there is a huge range of exploitation that occurs to some of our most vulnerable youth in our communities. So while, so there,
0: what, what does that mean? What does that
1: mean? Yeah. Yeah. So. So we have this idea, I think, and and this is a problem we run into in Texas sometimes, of what an ideal, and I say that with air quotes, um, trafficking exploitation, trafficking victimization looks like. But in reality, vulnerable youth are navigating lots of different exploitative situations on any given day. Some of which don't reach the threshold of what we would legally consider trafficking victimization, but that they are like finding um, ways to navigate those different exploitative situations in a way that does that they don't recognize themselves as being a victim when it reaches the threshold of legal trafficking. So what was really interesting to me is we went in and we interviewed about 500 youth that had some form of of risk factors that I mentioned earlier. And what we heard from across the board was talking about these different situations that they were navigating in their everyday lives that they didn't realize were exploitation in a way. So that's
0: what immediately comes to mind when you ask me what my biggest learning was. Kids yeah. don't, don't even understand what exploitation is. How are they going to know they're being exploited? You know, that's, exactly. Yeah, it's, So would you say um, dealing with youth was your main concentration even as a social worker and then into this research?
1: Yeah so most of my career I've been focused on um, youth and particularly youth that have experience with the um, child welfare system and so from that I gradually um, went into uh, domestic minor sex trafficking policy and then from that I went to research. So the study specifically we looked at youth minors and youth age 13 to 25 with um, a few interviews that we did with 26 and 27
0: year olds. Um, so we had, it was more minors, youth, and um, young adults, I would say. Right. That, that is the most, um, I guess, I, not the, it's, to me, I believe that's the most vulnerable population to that age range right there. And why, mm-hmm. like, that 13 year old age to me, um, that junior high, middle school age is. Critical not only to um, educate the kids and the youth, um, and to lead them a different path. And at that age, you're vulnerable. You you don't know you you don't know what you're going to do with yourself, what you're going to be involved in. So you're trying and experimenting with stuff. And the wrong voice, the wrong influence can lead you down a path that you might not wake up from for years to follow. And, and then going into your 20s, you're, you're still, especially speaking for men, our minds have not developed yet. So we don't even start really thinking until we're 30. So at 20, 22, 24, I'm still making, I was still making dumb mistakes like a 17 year old kid. Um, so that I, I applaud you for identifying that, that population. Um, so with these at-risk youth, people that have been, kids that have been involved in, um, foster care system have been involved in some kind of social services already how can we help these people and particularly i don't know how deeply you got involved with the foster kids but i'm wondering they to me that seems like the most um, delicate uh, situation just putting my mind and putting myself in the in the mind of a let's say a 12 year old or younger that has never had their biological parents in their life, doesn't know who they are. Just that thought of feeling of not being wanted and then going into a world, sometimes going into homes of people that don't really care about you, temporary housing, bouncing house to house, you're literally getting broken down um, mentally as a kid who hasn't even been built up yet to be able to fight stuff like this. How do we help that population? How?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is like so critical. And I think that um, I 100% agree with you. And this is really the number one thing that I believe we should be talking about as service providers and policy creators and and all of those things. And in fact, the number one finding of our study, which led into the solutions um, that we proposed was that a lack of a healthy, trusted relationship in participants' lives in the study, along with economic instability, created the ideal conditions for exploitation through fraud, or coercion. So really, what you're saying is exactly what we found, um, that youth who participated in our study reported experiencing a high degree of, of vulnerability, and it was after they exited a formal Systems such as child welfare or uh, the juvenile justice system that then led to a period of instability such as homelessness or a period of financial strain that then led them into entry into a commercial sexual exploitation uh, situation. or led them to be homeless, which led them to survival sex, which then led them to a trafficking situation. Um, so really, key, key, key to prevention, to intervention, is a healthy, trusted relationship uh, that that vulnerable youth can depend on, can rely on, and go back to over and over and over again um, during these periods of instability as they're entering and exiting these formal
0: systems that we have in so- society. In the ideal world, that would be so great to make sure, you know, kids that are displaced for whatever reason, it's not, you know, so I've, I've grown up around a lot of kids that were in foster care. And I would say out of 10 close friends that I had in foster care, there may be two that are kind of doing okay now in their um, mid thirties. So most of which have just um had the worst time the worst lives that I've known so how and how can we ensure we can reach a child and I know you may not know the exact answer this is just you know it's picking your brain how can we ensure kids get to those caring homes that we're talking about those that homes of people that actually aren't just picking them up for a paycheck or um, exploiting them themselves you know you hear about these instances of of going you know kids being placed in the wrong home now they're being um, sexually abused by the caregivers or by other children that are in the household that are you know having their own mental issues themselves what do you think how do we get those youth into good homes
1: yeah that, that is a great question and that's definitely something that we are working through in Texas and trying to find solutions to—it's not something that we t- looked at or asked about in the study. Um, but what we did ask about was we asked participants: um, Was there ever a time where you felt like someone could help you in a in a situation that you were in, and was not able to or could not for some reason? And why do you think that happened? And we found that there were multiple opportunities to intervene in a child's life. And it wasn't just a caseworker or a foster parent. I mean, it was really across the board. It was a school counselor or a police officer or a healthcare provider just didn't ask me the questions that needed to be asked for the participant to give them the answer or to even know to ask for help. So I think it's on us across the board uh, to ask these youth, what's going on in your life? How can I help you? And then follow through with that. Um, So while I don't know the answer for foster parents or things like that, I think it's an ongoing conversation that we need to have across service provision, across communities, across different types of foster care placements.
0: So, I would say, um, just to add on to that, how you had said, you know, it's different people that came across these youths' path, not necessarily just their foster parents or social workers. So, as adults, as we become more um, aware and conscious of not just um, sexual exploitation, but other issues that may impact kids' lives and and harm them as they grow up, we should take an active role as as adults. teachers, policemen, like I said, across the board, people with, that have uh, that have children in their path, coaches, mentors, whatever it is, and actively ask those questions, find out, because as often, kids will not speak on their issues that they're having, especially if they're not asked or in a comfortable, safe space where they feel free to answer these questions. So all of these, I believe, should be provided, and they, especially when dealing with the more vulnerable, high-risk, high-need population. Um, we need to make sure we create these safe spaces for them as children and ask them. You know, oftentimes, uh, shoot, a few times I, as a kid when I had, um, friends that were that were unfortunately um, murdered Um, and I think back at how no one ever stopped and asked me or my peer group if we were even just doing okay like how are you doing how are you dealing with this and that just that simple how are you doing and really want to know how that person is doing can go a long way and we might we might catch a situation with a youth that's going through something early, early and not pre- help prevent them from going down that destructive path. Um, in your research, I'm curious, did any any of the people that have been, um, you know, affected by um, sexual exploitation, did any of them say that they're parents tried to talk them out of it as a kid or or whenever they got involved. Did you hear what was the parent role in any of did you find the parent's role even existing in these these kids um, story?
1: That's a great question. So we didn't ask specifically about um, their parents role while the trafficking victimization was going on. But um, what we're finding in texas and i believe i have heard this about other states as well i don't have the data on it but for texas at least we're understanding that familial trafficking meaning that someone either within the household that the youth lives in or within their um, like relative group or family uh, system there is someone that is actually trafficking them um, from either the home or from somewhere else or something like that. That's that's something that we're seeing in Texas, as particularly with the younger um, youth that are trafficked at an earlier age. Uh, we see that familial trafficking is very common. So at least in those situations, a family member is oftentimes the perpetrator of the trafficking victimization. Um, when we asked the question of was there someone that could have helped you that did not, um, several youth did answer that their sister knew about what was happening or their parent knew about what was happening, but didn't, but didn't feel like they could help in any, help the situation in any way. Um, so while we didn't ask specifically what was, did you have any conversations with your parents around this?
0: Um, we heard those kinds of situations. So, like, I'm trying, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking, like, what would be a, what would be a so, solution to familiar trafficking? And honestly, I, I don't, I personally don't see a solution previous to it happening, because other than educating the parents, but for a parent, or for a parent to, traffic their kid you gotta what what mind state was this adult was this parent who this is your child uh, and you would be able to sell your child for monetary gain for whatever it is it was um exchange for property whatever it was what would put a person's mind state in that so thinking about solutions solution would be to be able to Help the parent get out of that mind state, but then how would you even recognize a person for having that mind state before they actually did the act? I think that would be the hard point. So it's almost with, with that, we would just have to once discovered that this youth has gone through this, it's to you now solution being help them out of it. But man, there's no, there's no real prevention that I can think of. Like how do you prevent that from happening before it happens? Or maybe you think the education of the child, you know, if we help educate children, then they know so if this is even about to happen to them or happening to them, they'll be able to recognize that this is not normal and that they can get out. So what do you, what do you think? Is it a more education that we need or or what how do we how do we help prevent this from happening?
1: Yeah, I think it's all of those things. So commonly when we when we heard about familial trafficking We heard um, that it was in exchange for drugs or to pay off a drug debt that the parent may have owed. Um, Sometimes it was gang-related or um, gang-adjacent or gang-affiliated familial trafficking. And sometimes it was a different sort of financial strain that the, the family was. Uh, navigating I guess so with those three things in mind I would say that the way to prevent it on the parental side would be to have like some sort of like drug intervention or gang intervention or even like some sort of financial intervention when we see those red flags and risk factors coming up in a family unit However, I think that education of um, the the youth undergoing education would have also been very helpful to understand what was happening to them. Um, because a lot of times, if the the parent is in that situation, then the youth grows up thinking that that is normal, as you say. So, with education directly to the USA, they would have known, okay, this is not something that should be happening to me, and here's where I can reach out for help.
0: Hearing, you, you know, this sound there's so, this trafficking sounds like just another symptom of a big problem right now, even for, as, speaking specifically of familiar trafficking. There's I, just what you just said, there's so many other pain, uh, uh, kind of issues If it's, if it's gang involved, if their drugs are involved, if it's just poverty, like there's all these other leading issues that before it even gets to trafficking, just mental health issues of the, of the parents or the family, like all these other issues that need to be addressed that are equally as serious. Like how do you end poverty? If poverty is the thing, how do we end poverty to help that family not be in that situation? drug abuse how, what kind of drug treatment is being offered if any or has it been you know oftentimes drug treatment isn't given to people unless they've committed a crime or they seek it themselves which most people addicted to a drug are not really seeking it themselves oh. man it's, it's it gets complicated so even as much as i, I want to um, focus on solutions it's like we would almost have to kind of get a solution to a, a bunch of other problems that lead into um, sex trafficking. Uh, it, it's overwhelming. It, it is, and just to think about it, like we have to. Um, we have to start somewhere. So that's why this is a good dialogue, and I'm glad that you and your team are doing research like this. It's valuable, and we'll need it as we come up with solutions. Just yeah, don't give up, please. <laughs> don't. Give up.
1: Thank you. Yes, it can definitely get overwhelming,
0: for sure. (laughs) Right In in, in Texas, in Houston, I've I've been out there a few times when I was in um, my former life, I'll call it, and I was just mostly involved in domestic human sex trafficking there in Texas. And just being in Texas and in Houston in the short period of time that I was, I seen how... It was similar to other places and cities in San Diego, like where I'm from. But they had, there was differences. Like there was brothels. There was 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 a big thing when I was out there, and I did like that's not something here in San Diego. Are there any uh, other forms of trafficking that you've seen have been more, um, more local to Texas that you haven't seen throughout the United States?
1: Yeah. So I'm from Houston, I I work in Austin, Um, so I am familiar with the work that's being done in Houston as well. Um, So what I would say that maybe is unique about uh, Texas and Houston in particular is that there is just such a high concentration of sexually oriented businesses Um, there's like more, I heard somewhere that there's more sexually oriented businesses than Starbucks in Houston. So that's everything from like strip clubs to adult stores to, um, like more of the illicit economy, it's like brothels and, um, like modeling, adult modeling studios and things like that. So, so with that being said, um. I think that the Houston Police Department and service providers in Houston definitely, and even the Polaris Project um, and the National Human Trafficking Hotline are really taking an interest in Houston because it's such sexually oriented businesses are in such a high concentration there. Um, So there are a lot of um, like kind of direction and focus and resources being put into looking at that in Houston and that's something that I haven't heard of really happening anywhere else
0: would you would you say that um, part of the prevention of this is maybe is, is Texas too lenient on licensing for people having these type of businesses should there be should there be more um, you know should they be more hide on who they're giving these licenses to because if it's if they have more sexually oriented businesses than starbucks i know starbucks is a superpower so that means the sex industry in in texas or houston is a superpower as well so that sounds like some legislation that needs to be um, done some it sounds like some political work that needs to be handled so that that doesn't continue to grow like that absolutely and so one
1: of my um I used to work at this organization called Children at Risk, and um, they are a statewide policy organization here in we have a whole portfolio of trafficking legislation that they're pushing for, and this is one of those, those um, sections of their portfolio is looking at why there are so many sexually oriented businesses in Houston and what legislation can be passed, whether on the city level, the county level, or even the state level to help prevent trafficking from occurring in those uh, businesses and whether it's like tightening uh, restrictions for opening a small business or something like that. um, They're exploring all those opportunities for sure.
0: awesome and just uh, thinking about this situation and who somebody has to be if these are legally operating businesses somebody has to be benefiting all those and if this if it's the city if it's the local um local government local economy so maybe it needs to be some major lobbying done of um, the politicians there to get this get this changed around, because as long as there's an industry to feed, as long as there's an industry to feed and someone's going to make money off of it, there's going to continue to be um, sexual exploitation, uh, legal and illegal happening in um, in Texas. So I, I, I believe out of everything I'm hearing right now, and just I think that this is um, to, to for a solution specifically for focusing on Texas I would say it definitely needs to be a legislation passed and this it seems like a booming economy out there a booming business out there industry being uh, anything sexually oriented so that that means there's a customer base out there that's large as well because they would you wouldn't open up another Starbucks unless you had cl- you know clientele around so they maybe right. yeah maybe that issue need some focus needs to go on to the buyers and also just looking at the looking at the local government like how is this even allowed to have um this many businesses out there i, I know texas might not be legal uh, with can- uh, have cannabis legal there we have cannabis legal in in california and specifically san diego and there are so many rules and regulations before you can open up a cannabis spot It cannot be so many miles away from a school. It cannot be, they they can't be close to each other. There's only a a certain amount of licenses that you're even able to get per area, you know, per district in San Diego. And that's similar regulations. Maybe something like that needs to be um, enacted in in your area. You know, with with this, you would think there's something this serious. There should be some more regulations for sure. Right. Yeah,
1: exactly. I agree. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's so, yeah, that's definitely, um, definitely something that should be addressed. And how, you said you used to be involved in the, the legislation issues as well?
1: Yeah, prior to being a researcher, I worked for uh, children at risk, and my policy portfolio was domestic uh, child sex trafficking. So I looked at some of the social issues that my counterparts Um as a lawyer um, and speaks that language much more fluently than I, right. uh, in Houston, really is working on the sexually oriented business legislation and things like that, um, regulation around that.
0: Have you guys been, or has your partner or yourself, have you noticed any um, kind of, you know, anybody kind of holding back off, off joining your fight? Any politicians, you um, are they are they open to hearing what you guys are talking about? Are they are they actually looking at these regulations and looking at these policies, or do you, does it seem like you're talking to a brick wall?
1: Well, so the really interesting thing about Texas is, I mean, I think that we're a very interesting political state. Uh, there's a lot of things that kind of happen here that seem to set the tone in some ways for the rest of the country, or you know in different ways, so so it's very interesting to me to be involved in, um, previously, to be involved in policy in Texas. Um, however, human trafficking, specifically domestic minor sex trafficking, really seems to be a very bipartisan issue, um, and Texas has really been at the forefront of passing legislation and trying different things, um, and really exploring different options legislatively around this issue. Um, so I would say that um, elected officials here have been open to, to trying different things, to um, like sponsoring different bills that would really um, push the, the fight against trafficking forward here in Texas. Um, so I wouldn't say that there's any one person that's really holding things back. Now, I do say that with a caveat is that now that I'm a researcher and pulled back from that life, I'm not as familiar with, with what's going on day to day in that world. But um, yeah, there's definitely people doing really good work here in Texas.
0: Absolutely. I, I spoke in um, San Antonio about a year ago, and it might have been close to a thousand people in the audience from all over um, in the speech was about um, domestic human sex trafficking. So yeah, I know that definitely are people out there, a strong, strong team of people out there fighting and trying to find solutions and help people out of this um, epidemic. So, Miss Dixie, before we end this, if, out of all your years of research, involvement around this issue, domestic human sex trafficking, if you had to, Personal. We'll take the social worker hat off. We'll take you know, take okay. your your researcher hat off right now, and then just you as a person. What do you feel we can do as a, as a society, as an individual? What can we do to help in um, this? Help! Help fight this, or to help to help save lives when it comes down to it. How, how do how do we do this? Yeah.
1: So. Taking off my like um, automatically, I want to put my social worker hat on (laughs) and do like this really like community-based societal answer. But but personally, um, the way that I have found to to make change in my own life outside of my work is to find ways to. Create relationships with young people. Um, and I've done that in several different ways by being a coach, by volunteering. Um, so I understand that everyone has a different skill set, has different interests, um, but I think that there is um, a way for people in their lives to seek out opportunities to create healthy, trusting relationships with um, individuals across the age range, right? So if, if working with young people is something that that someone wants to do, then then I think going out and being the coach or being, um, I don't know, a, a scout, the scouts are in trouble right now, but being a scout leader or being um if you're religious being a youth leader in your church so if there's a way that you can be the person in a youth life that they can go to and feel like they can depend on they can trust they can know that they can bring their true authentic selves to then i think that 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 is making a difference um in the lives that of the youth that you work
0: with specifically, and but then it ripples out as well. Couldn't agree with you more, one hundred percent. And like you said, you uh, any position you have, if, if you have the, the, the desire to to help our future, not just with trafficking, but just help build a better future, and you're you have that heart and that passion, and you can get involved in the youth's lives, um, especially youth that may not have parents two parents may have or just have a bad situation any positive seeds that we could plant into their heads any guidance that we can give these youth it, it is our duty to do that is it, you're not just a coach you're not just a, a troop leader you're not just a, a, a teacher you're a, whatever you are if you're just a neighbor and you know you can say some good words to a kid there are too many crazy adults out there that we need to combat. That we so as much good positive adulting that we can do for the youth. It's not just we are creating a better future. This is not just for us as individuals. The work we're doing, the work you're doing, Dixie. This is not just for you and for, for this generation of people that are alive right now. We need to be working for two generations away from. It. We need to be planting the seeds that are gonna harvest later on down the line, and that is the youth. Eventually, we will be old and done. <laughs> they, will be the, they will be the future leaders. They will be running this world. If there's things that we do not like right now that are happening, the answers and those solutions are gonna be born into this world and these children right now. So let's help them, let's guide them and do the best we can to help them have the best lives they, ha- they can. This is true prevention work. It is much easier for us to work on preventing the problem than trying to stop it once it's already occurring. Um, Yes, but thank you, Dixie. I appreciate you very, very much once again for being a part of this show today and for your insight.
1: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here um, and thank you for the work that you're doing. This has been a great conversation and it's conversations like these that really like fuel me to continue doing the work that I'm doing. So thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. And please continue doing the things you're doing. And you Know that you do have friends in San Diego. You know, we're not that far. It's about a 10 hour drive, about a three, four hour flight. We're not that far and we need to connect so this, this this is a beginning conversation. Hopefully, of many more to have. And if you need to just reach out to to myself, to anybody here in San Diego, um, please do. We are we are active actively working on solutions as well. Um, is there anything? Any last last words you want to say to the audience? Bye bye. Anything? Any <laughs> anything you'd like to no. Say?
1: yeah check if you want more information um our study is available online with all of the data um they, we included a lot of the use word for word um testimony in in our interviews with them we spent a lot of time with them um and their words are 10 times better than anything i could ever do so i would highly encourage people to find our study online it's you can find it on the University of Texas at Austin School of Social Work website. Um it's called The Life Experiences of Minors and Youth in Texas at Risk for Commercial Sexual Exploitation. Um yeah, and I would just encourage people to check it out and continue doing the good work.
0: Question, last question, I'll sneak this one in. But in this research with these youth, did you guys interview any youth on the app that's involved in sexual exploitation? But where the actual exploiter or becoming or being grown to be a pimp or exploiter?
1: You know, I'm really, really glad that you asked that. So in our interview tool, we did not ask any specific questions about that, but it did come out throughout the interviews. Um, this, is, this is a key piece that I'm actually really interested and passionate in. And... In, um, and I would like to direct um, research in that direction because more research needs to be done with that population. Um, I think it's a, it's a huge missing piece to all of this. Um, and as soon as we can get funding for it, then we will continue on that research line. absolutely,
0: yeah. I, mm-hmm. I pray that that happens and um, I'm also, if, if you need, um, when that does happen, because it will happen, we're putting that out into the universe right now. And so this research project is going to happen. Watch, it's going to happen sooner than you thought now that we had this conversation. Right? So, when it does happen, you have a source right here. You know, I, I myself and many of my peer group got involved at 16 years old. I, I'm now, one of my youth mentor groups that I have, I have a 13 year old boy who actually. Um, He said some stuff recently, um, less than a month ago. Just the the things that he was talking about, I knew that he was being groomed to be a pimp, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so I immediately got deeper involved in this young man's life. But I just, I'm just seeing this cycle continue. And I don't know who's at home, who's in this man's, this this kid's life, but whoever it is is teaching him, and he is. He he's in, he's he likes what he's hearing because he's he's bragging about it, but has not actually stepped over overboard or stepped over the line into this yet. But he's there, so definitely um, would love to see this research project happen, and it's a part of that solution because if we, we cannot just stop or prevent or help one end of it and then leave the other ones open, that also includes Absolutely. that also includes the buyer. What how what who, so. Um, Thank you very, very much. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead. Thank you. All right. And so you have all of my contact information. Um, We are now internet friends. All right. All right. Yes. Thank you so much. I
1: appreciate it.
0: All right. You have a great day. Okay.
1: You too. Have a great week. All
0: right. Bye-bye. Bye.